Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Now, for those of you that stood, were here when we taught the book of John, the Gospel of John, you know that wherever Jesus went, he did all of this healing. It'd be a good discussion on the way home to find out if Jesus was doing all these, this healing and his disciples were doing some healing toward the end of their three year with him before he, he resurrected. You could imagine how many sick people there were in Israel and then how many were probably healed in Israel. So he really strengthened the entire country, we might say, that whole town, that whole community of Israel with greater health than they've ever had so that they would become stronger, especially after he left. But that wasn't his main reason. The main reason was to do these so that they would recognize that he was deity, that he was God, that he had power to be able to do all of this stuff so that they would recognize him when he spoke about those truths that were connected to eternal life being by faith alone in him. So he was who he claimed to be. Now, as I read further in this, I found out that the knowledge of Christ being the one who would do all of this healing not only stayed in Israel, but actually spilled over into common day today, Syria. So the name of Christ was really getting out there, not only for his great teaching, not only for his wonderful preaching, but also he relieved the suffering. And so that would be why they'd say, Master, have mercy on us. And that word mercy is saying, we don't deserve this. In fact, what they're saying is, we have nothing we can give you. We can't give you money. We can't cook for you. We can't do anything for you. So just blanket us with your mercy. Now, if you will, for just a moment, if you want to just go off on a short tangent, That's pretty much where we are when we want to come to faith in Jesus Christ for our salvation. When we come to him, we can't say to him, I'm going to be good to go to heaven, or Lord, I believe in you, but I'm also going to bring my baptism, my keeping of the commandments, my good works, my money that I give away. We come to him and we say, Lord, we deserve to be fully judged. We deserve to die in our condition of lostness right here. But Lord, will you grant us mercy? Now, for some of you, you might say, what's mercy then? Well, maybe the best way I could do that is to contrast mercy against grace because we need both mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve, which is hell. So when they're saying in this context physically, grant us your mercy, they're basically saying, don't give us what we do deserve, which is a continued life of being a leper. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve and grace is getting something what we don't deserve. We do deserve to go to hell. We don't deserve to go to heaven. Mercy is not going to hell. Grace is being able to have an eternal relationship with the Lord. And that's what God does. He grants us his mercy, keeps us from going to hell, but he then adds on top of that all the beauty of having an eternal relationship with him through grace. So they're saying have mercy on us. Go back to the passage now. Have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. I had someone recently call me that was going to preach, and they wanted to know, what am I preaching on this morning? And so I told them what I was preaching on. I even sent him my outline. And we've been bantering back and forth about his outline and my outline. And then he decided he wanted to call me. And he said, why in the world would they ever go to, why would he tell them to go to the priest? Because they're, you know, so bad off. Well, I reminded him if he studied the book of Luke, or excuse me, Leviticus 13 and 14, you're going to find that the priests in those days were not only the keepers of society, all the rules and making sure everybody did what they should do, and if they didn't, they had to do all these different things to get cleansed and all of that. They were also the ones that we would call health inspectors. 
And you know what they are. Generally, those are the ones that go into the restaurants and really kind of check out what we're doing. Those of you that get married and you can look for your license, usually you go to the health department to do that here. So these priests also perform the duty of being what we more normally would call health inspectors. So whether you had a problem with uh, mold or whether you had a problem with leprosy, when you deemed it that you were cleansed, it didn't mean you were cleansed until the priest said you were now cleansed, that you passed all the rabbinical, all the biblical, all the laws, all the societal laws that were necessary for them to say you were cleansed. Once they put that mark on you, like getting the A on your restaurant, then you were okay. And so what he was doing is he's saying, all right, you want to be healed? What you want to do is he says is go to the priests. And what he was basically saying is on their way there, they were healed, which to me was pretty interesting because it says that as they went, they were healed. So the moment that they said, have mercy on me, Lord, and the Lord said, go, they chose to go still, I believe, with leprosy, but in faith believing if they were to go to the priest. So whatever they were to do, they went in faith, not knowing what was going to happen, but they were to go to the priest. In their mind, they could assume that, we guess, we'll be healed because there's no reason for us to go to the priest. They won't even get near us with our leprosy. So we believe that this master, this Jesus, will do some form of healing or something will happen or change the mind of the priest. So there was an element of faith that was involved in that that brought them to that level. Are you tracking with me so far? All right, so that's why they were healed because they had that kind of faith and they went on to the priest. Now let me just pause for a moment again and kind of give you some background. If you study the life of Christ, you can probably make a list of those people who really opposed Christ. Be the Pharisees, of course. It would be the Sadducees. But if you remember, he's going into the Passion Week, but there were also priests and scribes and others that were there, high religious people that would come against Christ. For just a moment, if you could read between the lines, the very people that didn't believe that Jesus was God actually fought against him as being God and sought later on to bring him down because he said he was God. He then sent these guys whom he, as God, healed them to those very people validating who he was. Did you catch that? So it was almost like a slap in their face, although he did it with grace. So he sends them on over there, and he says, look, we're healed. Who did this? How did this happen? This man Jesus over here did this for us. And so what was happening now is he's stating that out and for them. Now, you see them getting healed. Now, if you want to look a little bit more into maybe the Jewish culture, you're going to find the uniqueness of these guys because they're going to talk about that he was a Samaritan. They were Samaritans. At least the one who was healed was. I think they all were. But let's go back to the passage because this really fits in beautifully. And it says, Now one of them, when he saw him, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. So the nine guys kept going. Ten guys went. Nine guys kept going. But one came back. And this is when he saw that he had been healed. In other words, when he looked at himself and, Wow, I'm healed. Instead of going to the priest yet, he recognized the greater value was to come back and to glorify the Lord with a loud voice. Now, if this is your Bible, I'd like you to take the word glorifying God and underline the ing. Because actually in the Greek, it's talking about he didn't just glorify him once. He had an attitude of bringing consistent glory to God. So he was in a state of glorifying the Lord as he was turning back to the Lord. And it says with a loud voice. The word in the Greek there is an interesting word. It's a word that we get our word megaphone from. 
So in other words, he didn't just come back with an attitude of gratitude. He didn't come back just with, okay, praise the Lord. Okay, what's next? What else can you do for me? It was like, I'm glorifying God. Praise the Lord. That kind of stuff. Now that kind of fits too because God smiles at stuff done with a proper energy. Now don't be be beyond your personality and, you know, fake it. But in reality, there is such a grateful spirit that we want to just glorify the Lord. And it's just, it's expressive. It gets exciting. Now, some of you that say, well, I'm, that's not my personality. I really can't, you know, I like to be real quiet. I like watching those people that say they, they're pretty quiet and they're more passive. I love watching them when they're watching their favorite ball team and watch them as they're winning, you know. It's just really crazy. When we um, were pastoring um, on the mainland, we, had a, we were right on the border of Georgia and Tennessee. Our church, I mean, our house was way up on a mountain, big 3,000 square foot house, and we were at the very top of this mountain, and we could look into North Carolina, we were in Georgia, and we could look into Tennessee, we're at that little tri-state area. In the church, which is kind of down at the bottom of the mountain, it was funny because if Tennessee won, University of Tennessee, they won on Saturday, they would all wear orange in church, and the, the Bulldogs, the Georgia Bulldogs lost, they'd all wear black. If they won, they would wear Red. Now I'm saying all that for a purpose. We were invited to speak in Tennessee, in Knoxville, on Sunday. Did a Saturday seminar in the morning. They took us uh, to a Tennessee game at night. And then on Sunday morning, I preached in this big old church there. Well, at the game, I was watching a lady who was in my seminar who said, I am very quiet, I'm very passive, I'm, I, just, I'm, I, I just don't ever get excited. They happened to be playing Georgia. You should have seen this lady just yelling, 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 screaming. Now, if we can do that over sports, I don't mean we have to yell and yell and yell and scream and be someone that we're not and be obnoxious. But I think when something really great happens, we can certainly say, praise the Lord. Can we not do that? With a loud voice. Now, if you want more on that, the Old Testament talks about that the Lord likes the music played loud. He likes the singing played loud. Let me pause for a moment. Can we remove this little echo, whatever we got going on here? See if we can do something with that. Thanks. All right, back to this. So they glorified the Lord with a loud voice. Verse 16, it says, And he fell on his face at his feet. Now that's important. So I want you to know he came back to the Lord, but he fell on his face at his feet. That is indicative of someone who is falling before someone they believe is deity. So this is now telling you it wasn't just a great teacher that had some supernatural power that they recognized him. He, this guy, recognized him as being God now. Then it says giving thanks to him. He didn't say he gave thanks to him. It says giving thanks. So glorifying and giving thanks are all done in such a tense that he continually does this. And now the point I was getting at earlier is it says that he was a Samaritan. I thought that was interesting because those of you who don't know who Samaritans are, you have the Jews and then you have the Gentiles. And the Gentiles sometimes would overpower the Jewish people, take them into captivity, and then sometimes the Jews would intermarry with the Gentile people. And that little group would often be referred to as Samaritans, or we would call them half-breeds or mongrels if you want to use some really street language here. And so the Samaritans were really not much accepted by the Gentiles because the Gentiles hated all the Jews because they were, you know, kind of marrying the Jews. And the Jews didn't really care much for the uh, uh, Samaritans because the Jews then married into the Gentile group. So there was kind of a mixed breed there. 
Interesting with all of that, if you go back to John chapter 4, you're going to find, John 3 and 4, you're going to find that Jesus, what did he do? He, the very first person he fully gave his deity information to was a Samaritan. The very first town of people that came to know Christ the Savior was a Samaritan town. This particular group right here, he walks right up to those that were leprous, particularly a Samaritan, and he gives them all a healing at that time. And it was this Samaritan in his humble state that came back to then offer not only praise to the Lord, but also thanksgiving back to God. Now verse 17. Then Jesus answered and said to him, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? In the Greek it says, but the nine, they are where? You know, kind of like a little dig right here. Look at you. I thought I did ten. He already knew. But now, where are the others? Now you and I know, he knows because he's God. So he's really not doing it for his benefit. He's doing it for them so that they would begin to think. And so this man is now certainly thinking. And I thought this was interesting because there must have been a crowd nearby. Because he says, was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? So now he must be speaking to a greater group that's watching all that's going on. Because that's where he says, is there anyone else that can return to give glory to God except this foreigner? Referring to a Samaritan because we know he is a Samaritan. And I love verse 19. And the Lord said to him, remember, that Samaritan who came back glorifying the Lord, giving thanks at his feet, he now says to him, you stand up. Why? Because he's laying on his face at Jesus' feet. And he says, go, your faith has made you well. Now this is what's important. I'm not trying to inundate you with a lot of Greek here. That's not my, import, my, my point. But it is important for you to understand this. There's a word in the Greek that means to cleanse. To cleanse would be a term to mean that you are healthy, you are whole, etc. You have another word that would be the word health, that you are now completely healthy. So one would be cleanse, one would be healthy. He does use those Greek words in other parts and even in this particular event. But here he uses the word well. Now that's how it's translated. But in actuality, it's not those two other Greek words. It's an interesting word. It's the word that is used for saved or salvation. And so as I went through and I read as many commentaries as I could get my hands on, and as I went over the Greek and compared the word that's used for saved, that word is used in lots of contexts of not only a physical salvation, but is often most frequently used in a spiritual salvation. And since we're studying the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 9 and 10 when it's used, it is used in a salvation context. So it is my belief here that he had already healed him, but now he's saying your faith has taken him to the next level, which is you're not only physically healed, but you now are salvation or eternally healed in this. So now you have nine guys who, or ten guys who came to the Lord sick. Nine of them walked away being healed, and so they had the faith, or they believed God, or they believed in Christ, enough for the healing part, but not for the full part of placing their faith in him as being the deity. This also shows me the greatness of the Lord, that the Lord will do great things for people who still are not his children. So for some of you that look at those that are around you that don't know Christ, does some great things in their life, it tells me that the Lord is so good and he cares for them so much that he does great things for them, but that doesn't mean that they've come to faith in Christ. But for those that place their full on faith in Christ, the joy of knowing that our sins are forgiven and that we have a home in heaven, what a blessing that is. Well, now, that's the background of this particular event. So I'd like to give you some principles here that might help you a little bit 
And I've given you a little outline that you might want to fill in that you can use and share with others. How thankfulness can enrich our lives. And it'll be in this passage of Scripture, but let me give you one. First of all, thanksgiving should be a reflex response instead of a rare practice. A reflex response. When something happens really good, can you do that reflex response? In verse 15 it says, When he saw that he had been healed, he turned back. Remember, all of them were healed, but the one that had the thankful heart, he then turned back. It was a reflexive response to something good that was happening. I don't mean to be too crass with you, but maybe I'll just uh, ask you to evaluate. When something bad happens to you, is your reflexive response profanity? Boy, did it get quiet for a moment. You know, when you stub your toe... You bang into something you didn't know. You spill something. You knock something over. Something quickly happened that was wrong. Is your reflex to throw out a bit of profanity? Well, I'm, my message isn't on that, on profanity. It is on this. When things happen to us, can we give a more quicker response of turning back to the Lord, glorifying Him with a thankful heart unto the Lord? Can we work on that? Because I think that true thankfulness should be reflexive. And not just a rare practice when we're reminded of that, maybe in a particular event or a church or on a particular day. Number two, thanksgiving will bring you back to the Lord. If you remember, it was a reflexive response to be thankful, but at the same time, he went back to the Lord. In other words, he redirected his life so that he could express his thankfulness to the Lord for what he has done. Now, you and I get that thankfulness is an attitude that we have, the attitude of gratitude. We also know that we can thank God for wherever we are because He's everywhere. This time, He was physically in that little village. He is everywhere in our life. But maybe there's a time in our life that we need to shut our life down, stop the direction we're going in, and just center down on the Lord, and with our reflexive response, go back to the Lord and say, You know what, Lord? You did this. You provided this. You took care of me. And allow ourselves to have that time of communion with the Lord that we are letting that attitude of gratitude drill deep within us as we praise Him. So my point is going back to the Lord. Now I could say it another way. A lot of times people do nice things for us. And I think out of maybe ten nice things that people do, I wonder how many of those we come back and we thank them for that. We, we do. We're a pretty thankful group. We thank them for that. And we ought to do that. But remember, the thankfulness ought to maybe go back to the Lord because it's often the Lord who provided the provision to those people that gave to you, gave them the ability to do whatever they did to help you. So whatever it is, God prompted them by resourcing them, putting you on their mind. God did all of that for you. So ultimately, I thank the people, but I'm really thanking the Lord for what he's done for me. Do you got that? Okay, And so I really thought as that we go up. So if you go back to the Psalms, you're going to find how many times David, who was helped by a lot of people, and you can read it in Scripture, his band of uh, warriors, etc. But if you remember, his thankfulness was always to the Lord for those people. He thanks the Lord for those people. So we go back to the Lord while we do thank those people. And how very important for us to do that. I think sometimes that we often, um, with the Lord, um, we... Uh, we rarely give him thanks, but we give him a lot of blame when things don't go very well. All right, number three. Thanksgiving is something you do, not something you feel or think. Something you do rather than you feel or think. So that means that at times when we thank the Lord, it's something that becomes an action. If I go back to those two verses here, if you will, verses 15 and 16, there's five things that happen that are actions. It says here, when he saw that he had been healed... Um, he did something about that. He turned back. So that's number one. 
He glorified God. That's number two. He did it with a loud voice. So something caused him to have an outward expression. So he did something with his voice. Number uh, four, he fell on his face. So he bowed down. There was a, a physical showing of what he did in humility. And then it says, and he gave thanks to God. Five things he did in just two verses to show that thanksgiving is not something merely that we feel or we think, but there's some demonstration of it. Now, it doesn't mean that everything that happens, that we've got to fall down before the Lord. But I think that if we had an attitude of that, I think there'll be more of it. Um, I remember reading a, a book by A.W. Tozier years ago. And in that book, Tozier said this, the missing link in church today is worship. Then in... As I thought about that, I thought, what's the missing link in worship? If missing link in the church today is a church that worships, what's the missing link in worship? And I got to thinking, I really believe it's a grateful heart, that we really don't really show our gratefulness to the Lord unless we want to glorify the Lord. And so if we want to glorify the Lord, thankfulness is at the root of that. And the more I thought about that, I thought, okay, if there's a chain going on here, what's missing in the church is worship, what's missing in worship is thankfulness, what's missing in thankfulness? I think it's a humble heart. I sometimes think that we don't express our thankfulness is because sometimes we are not humble, which means this. Why would I ever thank anyone else for doing something to me? Because they should do it. I'm entitled to what they're doing. And if they did it, they did it for their own reasons, not really for me. It's for what they get out of this thing. All of a sudden, what's happening to me now is because I earned it or I deserve it or they are doing it for other reasons, but it's not about anything that I need to be grateful for because it's all about them, not about me. Instead of for that moment right then to say, you know what, I don't deserve anything. Watch this. Have mercy on me. I am a nothing. And when I see that something is done that I don't deserve, that then brings thankfulness. And when I'm really thankful, thanking the Lord who did this for me, in that process of doing that, I'm bringing glory to Him. So maybe if you want to analyze your own worship, see where it is in the area of gratefulness. And when you see gratefulness, see if humility is in there somewhere or where it might be missing. Just as something for you to self-analyze. All right, number four. Thankfulness is one of the most quick and simple ways to get an audience with the Lord. Thanksgiving is one of the most quick and simple ways to get an audience with the Lord. Now remember, these other nine guys talked to the Lord once. They walked away being healed. And as they walked away healed and going over here, watch, this is so cool. They went to a place where there was a human in a facility that was built for humans, all right, which was that temple, we might say. Over here, this man went to God and he worshiped the Lord in him alone. And so his relationship was with the Lord, not with a priest, not with a minister, not with a location out here, but was purely and only with the Lord in the very spot where he was helped. And so then he went into a discussion. And if you look here in the passage, here's what he said, here's what he did, here's what Jesus did, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I'm wondering sometimes when we have a thankful heart, that it's our time that we say, man, I'm such a sinner. I don't deserve anything in my life. We confess that sin. And right then, we're just talking to the Lord and talking to the Lord. Stay with me. If we live a whole day and so many nice things happen to us and we don't for that moment thank the Lord for that, all of a sudden, every time we're not thanking the Lord, then what are we doing? We're ignoring the Lord generally at that very moment. And so the more we see happening that this happened by a permissive or prescriptive God to have this happen in our life, the more we're seeing God at the center of all of this, the more we would be saying, I see God, I'm talking to God, I'm communing with the Lord. I'm cleaning my life to see if I'm even worthy of this here so as we come to the Lord in a special way. So, again, Thanksgiving is a way to continue our audience with the Lord in a very special and intimate way. Number five, Thanksgiving results in a purpose. Thanksgiving results in a purpose. 
And notice what happens here. Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. You know, um, what you might do, uh, this gets a little heavy here, so lean into this for just a moment, with your children. You might ask your children when they recognize that God has given them something or prevented something bad from coming into their life, did something in a very unique way. Why don't you ask your children, why do you think the Lord did that? Why do you think the Lord did that in your life? And then let the kids come back with a lot of different responses. And as they do, begin to probe them with a little bit more, but guide them in the conversation so that they would also have an intimate relationship with the Lord. Watch this now. So that everything that happens, that has happened to them, they can give thanks because it is the will of God concerning them or give thanks in the very thing because what it's doing is it's helping them have a more intimate relationship with the Lord so everything has a benefit, everything has purpose. So when we have a thankful heart, we now recognize the purposes now that God has given this to us so we could really get to know Him even more and more. I have to tell you that it can be really hard. You know, as a pastor, Carol and I... um, seems like wherever we go, we go to an area that's away from our family. We have rarely lived in the same community with our family. One time, my mom and dad even moved from the Florida Keys all the way to San Antonio because they wanted to be near us. My sister then moved, wanted to be near us. Three years later, the Lord moved us to another place and left them in San Antonio. So our family is there. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.